Hey, well, I'm going to go ahead and make a, talk about a little bit about what I was going to talk about earlier. You know, one of the challenges that we have as we continue to grow is, I don't know if you're looking, but we got like 10 or so kids, you know. Uh, we, we have an active and, and very uh, lively children's bunch. And uh, I tell you, if I'm, if I'm going to be guilty of anything, it's, a, it's going to be guilty of not slapping them on the back of the head and making them hate church as they grow up, you know, because they need to shut up. And I don't know if you realize, but four-year-olds don't shut up, okay? I know some of you are like, oh, I remember. Oh, I remember. But they just don't. And listen, I'm not sure they're supposed to. You know, one of the things that I've often said, let me, let me just talk a little bit first before we get into the sermon this morning. Um, one of the things that I often said, my, the gift that I have, uh, uh, and, and sometimes I'm challenging it because I see other people who are better at it than me, but the gift that I have is the gift of gab. I talk a lot. Can't help it. Like talking, whatever. When I was a kid, my, my parents said the teacher would approach them and go, do you ever let him talk at home? Because he doesn't shut up when he gets here. And so uh, that was my life. Talked a lot. And can I tell you, I got, I got a, you know, back when I went to school, uh, I don't know how it was for some of you, but they had corporal punishment and you just got licks, you know, for everything. And honestly, licks was better than detention for me. So I would take a paddling with a board all day long before I took a, a detention. I'd, don't sit me in a room and make me be quiet. That's worse. Just give me, give me three good hits with a two by four and we'll call it even. Like that, that seemed way better to me than sit me in a room and tell me to shut up. You know, that, that, that would have been actual punishment. So, but one of the things I look at over the years is, you know, when my mouth was unbridled a little bit, all right, which was when I was young, I had this gift here in my mouth to be able to talk, to be able to express myself, to not be intimidated in talking to other people. Never met somebody I didn't know. You know, that, you know what I'm saying there? I've never met somebody I didn't know, and people always usually feel pretty, I can make you feel pretty comfortable around me and, and things like that. That's one of my gifts. But when I was younger and that thing is unbridled, it, it's a horrible gift because it needs discipline. It needs to know when to shut up. And I've often laughed about, you know, the greatest thing ever happened to me in my life is bullies because when I talk too much, a good punch in the mouth always reminded me, probably time to shut up, right? And so uh, part of that process in growing up and just getting lit, you know, everybody keep, oh, he talks too much, talks too much, and they would give me paddlings and paddlings and paddlings, right? That, that really was God bridling, bridling my mouth, giving me the discipline I need to know how to hone in on the gift that I have. You see, because the gift that I have being the gift of God, when it is unbridled, uh, it, it can be a wrecking, you know, a wrecking ball. But when it's bridled and God, right? so part of the process of growing up for a kid is learning that, right? There's a time to learn when it's a time to a discipline. There's a time to learn when it's a time of joy. And I promise you, like, if anybody understands when the right time to discipline is, it's the Father, above what I know because if I had my way let's just be honest I love you all enough that I'd probably just want your lives comfortable when actuality what you need is your life uncomfortable sometimes God loves you enough to give you that a little bit even though you'll pray against it God loves you enough to just let you sit in it you know uh that being said you know when we bring our kids out and man I know they're rambunctious I know they're running around I also know it's a time of worship but if you don't if if you don't think God's used to kids man are you missing it God, by the way, I'm so glad God is not civilized. You soak that in. Soak that in. God's not as civilized as we are to need everything so quiet. To need every... God can hear the voice of you crying out in prayer in the midst of all the chaos. Right? God's a wild man. I mean, come on, what kind of... By the way, how many people do you trust who always backbite you, backstab you, talk bad about you, uh, you know, no matter what? what you're told you do things against them all the time like when I remember what I talked about with the, the culture today about you know you don't have to tr you don't have to uh, hang out with these people who backstab you gossip da 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 da, da about you da, but God does it's called the children of God right aren't you glad God loves you <laughs> that when you were once the enemy of God God had mercy and God had grace on you that's the thing about it you know, that's the thing about it with God, you know. So when we bring these kids in here, I know it's rambunctious. I know it can get crazy, and I know we let them run around a lot in worship. But I promise you, like, I'm not sure that I want it any different. So a lot of that's coming from me. If there's ever any issues, that's coming from me, mainly because I've, I, I, first of all, I, didn't, I wasn't raised in church, but I have been around too many that have. And part of their biggest complaint listening to them is how much they were hit in the back of the head and how it was miserable for them the whole time and if they didn't act a certain way and conduct themselves a certain way. And my thing is, I don't know about you, but I have a lot of fun in Jesus. I mean, I do. I have a lot of fun in Jesus. And I, dancing is fun. What's funny to me, I, I've been mentioning, if I haven't told you, I'm getting married. Uh, by the way, I'm already married. 
but I am getting married again to my wife sometime in the spring. We're going to set a date, and you're all invited, and, and uh, we're going to make it a big church thing and, and, and have a good time. And uh, so I'm working on my weight, trying to get my weight down, put on my dress blues for her. I want, I want to look good for her and have a real nice wedding we never really got to have. Kind of we had like a poor man's wedding, which, hey, I'm, it did the job, right? We've been together over 20 years, right? That's all, that's all that mattered. Uh, uh, but uh, in, in that process of, of how things are, like I, I am down with dancing. I've met a lot of people like, yeah, well, we don't dance. Like, why not? Are you scared what somebody else thinks? Like, I know you can't dance good, so what? Dance slow. Wait for the slow songs. You ain't got to move very much. But man, there's something to dancing. There's something carefree to just being okay. By the way, all of you as children danced. If I went and asked your mom when they turned a song on, I would take it to the bank that all of you danced at one time. It is in you to move to the melody. By the way, your kids do it with ease. And there never should come. Listen, we cultivate a spirit now, right, of freedom to dance in the Lord, to worship in the Lord, to praise God in the ways that we can. They don't know how. They're not as refined as you yet. All right. They, they don't have this idea that everyone around them is looking at them. Not yet. The world will give it to them. You don't have to, like, impose that on them. The world will give it to them. But for right now, they're carefree, probably more free than most of you are. Because they'll dance, and you know, you look at them, there's nothing civilized to that dance at all. There's no style to it. It's just jump around, shake those shakers. Sometimes those shakers become microphones. Mm-hmm. They still have an imagination. Some of you need their imagination, right? And you ne- listen, you need it, man, because it's good, man. That's freedom. That's the living freedom, man. The freedom of not ever having to worry about what everybody thinks. They got that right now. Sometimes we need it. We could take a few lessons from our children, amen? That's all right if you don't amen it. That's okay. It's still true. It's still true. Hey, so we're, uh, the altars, the way it's going to work with the altars. Uh, right now, the thing that we're doing over the altars is praying over them. Um, there was an idea um, where the Lord has been pushing upon me, this idea of, of a place to come and, and that's holy. You know, we meet in a restaurant. It's, it, it is an everyday place. There are people here six days a week eating. There are people here that meet, they talk, and they converse, and it's an everyday public place. And in an everyday public place, it, it, it doesn't have the luxury of having the big building with the cross on the front and all the things that kind of help signal to our brains that this place is a holy place. But can I tell you, there's no place on earth that isn't holy because God dwells in it. That's the truth of the word, man. Everywhere in your home is a holy place, Right? Everywhere you walk is a holy place because God has created it. He dwells in it. He dwells in it, right? And so we looked at all these ideas. Do we want to buy? I looked, you know, there's a lot of places that sell altars, which is bizarre. The more I start looking at it, I kept thinking about the people in the temple who were selling like the doves, the turtle doves and stuff. Oh, I'm selling you the, the things that you need, the items that you need to go do worship, you know? And there's something weird about that. And then I thought about, well, if I buy it, then, then the whole phrase came to this. I'm just kind of going you through my process, you know, just the way the Lord worked through this and, and, and led to this is, is I, as I was thinking about buying them, the Lord's like, or I say the Lord, the scripture comes to me about David, shall I give what I haven't, you know, what hadn't cost me. And, and it would just cost me money. That doesn't cost me anything. I don't have, I don't waste any of my time. And often I have found that in the Lord, what the Lord wants for me is my time. I'll be honest with you, more than my money, more than anything else, what God wants for me is time. He wants me to sit there and spend time with him. He wants me to pray with and talk to him. He wants me to spend time at the altars, right? So I begin to think, okay, well, I'm going to build them then. And I'm going to give you my time. And while I'm doing this, Lord, I'm, this is all going to be about just you and, and helping people finding you. And, and I'm going to sweat over this whole thing. And, and so I made these things and and uh, praise God for Pinterest. I'm not a big woodworker, all right? So thank, thank you, Pinterest. But uh, I looked at all these designs, and I wanted something so simple, because I don't know if you've realized this about Mosaic but, and me, is I'm a very simple person. Uh, I really just like authenticity, realism. Uh, I like things that are flawed. I love brokenness. Uh, that's, the, that's the name Mosaic. I love brokenness because I believe God makes beauty in brokenness. 
Um, and so when we brought this, I was, I was thinking about the, the scriptures of Elijah that talk about Elijah. And then there was this part where he goes up to Mount Carmel. And if you're not familiar with Mount Carmel, Mount Carmel is where Elijah meets the prophets of Baal. They're going to have a big showdown. Uh, they put up their altar and they build it and they're praying for day and night for all this stuff to happen and nothing happens, right? And, you know, and Elijah mocks them. And it's a pretty funny little moment. And then it's Elijah's turn and Elijah comes up there and he builds an altar and then he lays the wood. And then he prays for the fire, right? So the thought process behind this is, well, I'll bring the wood. But if anything is considered stone, it's the scriptures. It is the bedrock of our faith, the bedrock. So here's the idea. There are markers up here. And we'll have time during the worship part of this as well as the end where we'll leave them out, be the last thing we load up. And if you have a scripture that's dear to your heart that brings you hope, okay, like, if you want to be reminded of one thing when you go to the altar, I want there's markers on both sides. I want you to come in, and we're going to saturate this whole thing in scriptures. The whole thing is going to be the written word of God. So that when you come down to kneel, you know that you're laying upon the rock and the wood, and you're praying for fire to be in your life. Do we understand that? Say amen if you do. Amen. amen. All right, let's move into Mark. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 12. We're going to finish out the chapter. Amen. All right. There's only 16 chapters of Mark. That means we're almost there. It's taken almost a whole year. But we're getting there. Be in chapter 12. We're going to push forward. But in reality, right, we're pushing towards the cross, which is what some would call the end. But really, it's the beginning. Because what lies on the other side of the cross is resurrection power. What lies on the other side of the cross is the power of the Holy Spirit. So I'm excited to move forward today, and I believe that the scriptures we read today are timely. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, this probably, if, if I've preached on a lot of things, this is definitely going to be one of those that really deals with our culture, where it's at today, and ultimately where this generation is today. Uh, uh, because what we're going to see in scriptures today, there, there's, a, there's a gigantic struggle with, there's a gigantic struggle with right now. And, uh, man, this is where the word just hits us uh, uh, where we're at. This, 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 this part today, as I begin to uh, unfold it a little bit or unpack it a little, it's really going to hit us where, where our culture's at. And so I just hope you're paying attention today. I hope you're listening. I'm going to challenge you in a few areas. And uh, I, I believe it's a timely, a timely word. We're in Mark chapter 12, verses 35. We're just going to, we're going to start with 35 through 37. I'm going to get your gears rolling before we dive into what the, the meat of the whole thing is. Say amen if you're there. I like it. I like it. Let's read. Later, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple, he asked, Why do the teachers of religious law claim that the Messiah is the son of David? For David himself, speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies beneath your feet. Since David himself is called the Messiah, my Lord, how can the Messiah be his son? The large crowd listened to him with great delight. Now, it's, let's just stop right here. It's fair to say he's not contesting what the Pharisees believe. This is not a challenge out to them or is this right or is this wrong? It's not. And how do we know that? Because the true, it is true that the Messiah would be the son of David. It's true that he comes from the line of David. Nobody's disputing that. He's not disputing that. Uh, uh, it's prophetically true. It's scripturally true. However, look who he's talking to. He's not talking uh, uh, to the Pharisees. He's not talking to the Sadducees. He's not talking to the religious leaders or elders of the day there. He's talking to regular everyday people. In the culture of the day, the people relied a lot on, what, on the Pharisees basically knowing more of the Scriptures than the common people. This is the way it was. They had access to these things because they grew up in houses with finances that were able to afford their time to spend studying uh, rather than time of tending fields or performing a job duty. And so this allowed them to spend time studying. And in studying, they knew more and people looked to them for this knowledge. It created the leadership platform there. But that was never the intention of the Bible. 
That was never the intention of the Bible for it to be that way. Listen, and this is a good point right here. God wants all men and women to have equal footing when it comes to knowing the Lord. When it comes to knowing who He is, what He stands for, everything about Him, there is no hierarchy there. The lowest person and the highest person stand on equal ground in the Bible in when it comes to knowing who the Lord is. Jesus incites this by asking them a question and getting them into a thinking mode. All right? Cool thing about that is when we're asked questions, when we're provoked uh, 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 to thought, uh, our, ba- our brain begins to problem solve. It starts working on this cognitive level, right? I mean, you've asked me a question. Now I've got to think. I've got to think. I've got I've to figure out how to answer you. And so my brain starts working in a different way. It starts thinking like almost like reverse engineering things and, 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 and thinking about how it can be solved, right? The Pharisees have already put a lot of these pieces to the puzzle together. But the question is, have you? And that's the challenge Jesus puts in front of them. All right, like the Pharisees have already figured this out. They understand the why. Why do they say that? They know, but do you? That's a strong question. Now, why does he say this? Because every relationship must be its own. You don't get to live off grandma who's been serving for 25, 30, 40, 55 years. She doesn't have your one-way ticket that gets you in. Every relationship is its own. And Jesus loves you as much as he loves me. Not more and not less. I know we always, uh, how many of you kids have asked you that? Which one do you love more? I always tell them, it's the youngest. That's just how it is. But that's not true. I love all of them the same. I would be deeply hurt if anything happened to any of them. Right? All the same. Each relationship must be its own. After all, you don't believe in Jesus because I tell you he is the way, the truth, and the life. You believe it because you know it. And if you don't, there's a problem. At some point, you have to investigate truth by yourself. At some point, the gospel must be more than mere words or a behavioral change. It's got to be a truth that radically begins to shift at your heart, right? Because you have an understanding of the truth. What is that truth? Is that Jesus is the Son of God. And that it's been God's plan from the beginning uh, of our downfall to save us. The scriptures go uh, uh, all the way back to the beginning and they prove it as much. This is why we study them. This is why he's asking questions. This is why you get asked questions on Sunday. Because how come you don't know? Well, you come here and you oh, I'm coming to be fed. How much do you feed yourself? I, I mean, one of the greatest, I think, complaints that we hear as pastors, like people go, oh, I'm just going to see where I can be fed, where I can be fed. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, man, this ain't the buffet. This ain't the place where you come to get spiritually fat. That's happening in your own home. Can you imagine if the only place you came for food was my house? You'd stop, man, some of you'd be like, yeah, I'd be skinny for once. Come on now. I'd starve all week, fast all week, and be eating at your house on Sunday. Some of you some of you are like that with the Word. That's not good. You should be in the Word every day. There's no reason you can't sustain yourself. By the way, there's no reason you are not as smart as me when it comes to the Scripture. Oh, well, you have such a gifting. No, my gifting is talking. Studying is still something I have to put the time to do in. I don't, I don't like all of a sudden I'm just like, well, I've memorized all the Scriptures. Man, I'm going to tell you that hadn't happened. I wish... I mean, I listen to guys all the time that teach way better than I do, that have way more insight than I do, and I'm inspired by these men to what? To study. Because you know the great thing about the Bible also teaches that we're all equal, that I can learn just as much as they can. Why can't I? God loves me too. God wants to show me truth. God wants to show me, uh, uh, give me wisdom. God wants to give me understanding. But he's not going to go, well, I'm just going to touch you on the top of the forehead and it's going to be imputed into you no it comes under the disguise of hard work and that's the reason a lot of us don't do it well it'd be hard i don't really have time no you don't have time because you don't value it and then you wonder why your kids are the way they are then you wonder why your life is the way it is well you didn't value it you didn't value the thing that could change your life you want instantaneous change with the with the most amount of comfort but that's not what happened that's not that's not how the world works 
you know, one of the things that I've had to like come to grips with, and I still fight it every day, right? Is I've just decided I'm going to, I'm going to do it no matter how hard it is and quit looking for the easy way out. And you, listen, th- here's where that happens. <clears throat> this is where that happens. It, it'll always be something like, all right, I'm just going to cut. Like if I do this right here, I'll totally don't have to spend the next two hours doing X, right? I, I can just do this and it'll be good. And then like two weeks later, it breaks. And you know what? If I'd have just spent the two hours that it took to do it right in the first place, instead of just so I could just be comfortable in the minute, can I tell you that's how we all live our life? That's how we raise our kids. That's how sometimes we treat our marriages. Listen, I've yet to see anything. When you shortcut something, you are the one who paid the price for it. I'm just like, I just, it's time to embrace the hard stuff. It's time to embrace the hard stuff. We've got to start studying. We've got to start reading uh, the word. We've got to start doing these things. All right? Jesus incites this with just a few questions. I mean, he doesn't really, like, he doesn't, you know, the funny thing about the scriptures, he kind of leaves it at that and it moves on, right? Well, what's the answer? No, 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 that's not it. You find the answer. That's what I like about the question when you ask him, why does it say that? And let me move on now. <laughs> He's not going to answer that. That's for you to find out. That's for you to discover. Welcome to that treasure. There's a treasure on the other side of it. Go find it. Go be the Indiana Jones of the scripture and go find where that leads. Follow that rabbit trail. See where it goes. Because if you'll chase the truth of the prophetic truth of Jesus, then you'll find out that you're looking at the Son of God as He's talking to you. If you'll chase that trail, you'll see who He is. And when you see who He is, you will believe Go find out the truth for yourself is what he's provoking them to do. And man, with that, those wheels are beginning to turn. Jesus now turns his attention towards something else. And to me, this is the thing that uh, our culture is going to deal with, what we deal with today. It's what the ministry deals with. It's going to sound so familiar when we begin to talk about it that it's going to be an old hat a little bit. But let's break it open. Verse 38. Jesus also taught, Beware of these teachers of religious law, for they like to parade around in flowing robes and receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces, and how they love the seats of honor in the synagogues and the head table at banquets, yet they shamelessly cheat widows out of their property and then pretend to be pious by making long prayers in public. Because of this, they will be more severely punished. So, Here's the thing. Jesus gets our brain into more of this problem-solving mode, and then he pushes us right into examining the lives of those who have found themselves in spiritual leadership. All right? So I've got your brains working. I've asked you a question. The wheels are turning up there, and and you're, you're beginning to look at Scripture. You're beginning to think about these things, right? And then I point over to a group of individuals, and I said, listen how these guys are, and don't be like this, right? I want you to think about, right? He provokes us to take a look at these groups who call themselves religious leaders. He reveals a flaw in their walk. And then he warns us about following in their footsteps. These men who've become leaders, thanks to their extensive knowledge and study of the scriptures, they've gained power and position. And unfortunately, it's led them to a place of sin. It's just the way it is. Jesus reveals their sin in that they love to parade around in flowing robes, right? They love the way they dress, all right? They receive respectful greetings. People talk to them with respect. And that they love to have the seats of honor in the synagogues and the head tables at banquets. So their knowledge of the scriptures has gained them favor in many areas of society and church culture. They're studying, and and their time that they spent studying has gained them favor. And this has led for some uh, uh, quite a bit of respect. I mean, come on, man. They're the ones teaching everybody, right? Everybody else is hungry. They're not thinking. Jesus, this is why I said Jesus has got to get them into that cognitive mode where you're starting to think because most of them aren't. They're letting these other guys think for them. And at first, listen, this is not necessarily a sin. It becomes sin when their identity, these leaders, their identity changes from allowing the Lord to affirm them through the Scriptures to living off the affirmation of people. It's easy to do on the platform. 
I remember Gerald Brooks who says, if your prayer time is shorter than your stage time, you're failing in ministry. And let me tell you why that is, because you need to be affirmed by God, because the temptation to be affirmed by men is so powerful. The problem is to keep this affirmation of the people, it becomes imperative that they be seen in everything they do. I just want to make sure everybody sees what I'm doing. Listen, in the beginning, it's just discovering the truth of the scriptures. This was their affirmation alone, but now being seen as a leader, being seated at the best spots, and being seen as a spiritual teacher is what brings them joy, is what affirms them, makes them feel confident, makes them feel good, right? And this is where things go wrong. The desperate need to be seen is something that all leaders in ministry must face. And really, every Christian, every Christian, this is a bigger epidemic. There is a temptation that arises in the heart of all of us to desire for people to see us in a way that we might not actually be. It's in all of us. We want everyone to see us in the best light. It's not true. I mean, like, there's pieces of us that we know are not true, but we don't want anybody else to see those things. So we hide those things, right? Because we only want people to see what we want them to see. And why do we hide these things? Why do we uh, 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 desire for people to see us in a way that we might not actually be? Because there are benefits. <laughs> like it or not, there are benefits. Let's be honest about this. I don't believe the Pharisees sought after their positional, you know, uh, after their positional status at first. I think that they all start out with like this genuine love for Scripture, this desire to serve people. I really do. A lot of the pastor guys I know today, they don't start out going, "I can't wait to take advantage of all the perks of ministry," because by the way, it's a hard life, man. I mean, there's, there's some things that can be really hard about it, you know, and how to talk with people and how to handle things. And, and you can know all the scripture in the world, but the human side of things is still the human side of things. But can I tell you, it's easy to fall into some of the traps. I think they started out right, but however, after a while being in the public spotlight as a teacher, and I'm sure if it's all like pastoring today for the, you know, for the Pharisees as it is today, it's really easy to fall into the trap of self-exaltation. Man, I, I, you need to pray for some of these pastors that write books. You need to pray for some of these pastors that are at conferences. They may not make it. They may not make it to heaven. I'm not kidding. By the way, you're like, what are you talking about? They're at conferences. There's thousands of people there. Uh, there's also scriptures that said, we did all these things in your name. And Jesus says, I don't know you. That's big. By the way, if that don't sound like a pastor, I don't know what. Man, I did all this in your name. Uh-huh, sure you did. You did it for yourself. You did it for yourself, and you received the reward of it. What's your complaint now? Well, I was, I'm trying to get to heaven. That wasn't the reward you wanted. You wanted the respect of men, so we gave it. You wanted to be seen doing it. Why do they fall in this? Well, let's make it simple. When someone has a gift of examining the Scriptures and teaching, no lie, this gift will rise to do the job that it's created to do. It will naturally find its way into a leadership uh, position. It just will. When somebody has a gift, it rises. There's no doubt about it. And at this point, there are those uh, that through their appreciation and gratitude of this gifting, want to bless those who have it because they benefit from it. That's not wrong. All right? It's not wrong to bless someone who's blessed you. But that's how it begins, okay? It's a slippery slope right there. And as long as the heart's right, here's where you got to be connected to God. As long as your connection with God is right and it's keeping you humble and keeping you in the right place, like that's okay, right? It can, it can be okay, but it's a slippery slope there. There's nothing inherently wrong with it, blessing those who have blessed you. People who have a teaching or scriptural deal and you decide, man, I've just received so much teaching for them and they've just helped me so much see the Bible and bring understanding to my life. Man, I'm going to take them out to eat. We're going to send them at the place of honor because I just want to honor their teaching, the gift that God's given them. And there's nothing wrong with that. But you got to be careful. <laughs> it's easy to fall into the trap that's thinking somehow you deserve it. It's easy to fall into. I mean, it just starts with a simple like, man, they never study. If it wasn't for me studying, they'd never be there. So if it wasn't for me doing this, it would never happen. Listen, man, this is when you're not rooted to God. That's what happens when you're not rooted into God. And then all of a sudden, 
you find yourself, you kind of fall into this idea that somehow you think you're owed something. And man, that's how quick it happens. Well, I'm owed this. I did all this for this church. I'm owed this. Man, I'm telling you, man, I've seen pastors take all kinds of advantage of the church. They felt it owed. They don't feel like it was bad at all. I've seen pastors set up their credit score on the church. I've seen like ethical, small little ethical things that aren't necessarily illegal. But they're just ethical things. They built their whole, whole financial, personal financial gain off the, off the platform of the church because they can't. They, and they see it as just a perk of being pastoring. Well, it's so difficult and so hard of pastoring. I'm owed this. I'm owed this at much, right? This church, for everything I've done for this church, this church owes me. Some of you probably feel that way for the where you work. And then the great thing about the uh, secular world sometimes is it reminds you, oh, I can replace you. <laughs> By the way, uh, so can God. So can God. God said he'll just raise up the stones. You think he needs your mouth? Man, there are times where any time where I ever get where like, oh, man, I've got this gift of gab. But God goes, yeah, but I've given that to the rocks and the trees. Everybody talks about them, too. Look how many times you go to Colorado. Look how all your pictures from Colorado, everybody oohs and ahs over those. Yeah, they're singing my glory. So don't, don't, don't value your mouth too much. Listen, there are all a few, also a few ways we see this today in our culture. Because if there's ever been a culture today that thrives on being seen, because that's ultimately what they want. They want to be seen doing what they're doing. Don't be like them who are seen in these, in these areas of their ministry. They live on being seen. They live on the affirmation of people seeing what they do, seeing who they are, right? They receive that affirmation when everybody goes, boy, good job. Good job, man. And I'm going to tell you, there's some temptation there, like at times, even for pastoring. And I'm going to tell you right here, like when you come up at the end and go, man, that was a good word. As if to say the next time when you don't tell me that's a good word, man, that must have been a horrible word. And if you're not careful, you let that kind of stuff mess with you as a pastor. you got to come and bring the word that God tells you to bring and be, be content with it. You have to be safe and secure within your calling of who, what God's called you to do. you got to know that there's sometimes you're going to step on toes and everybody's just going to walk out the door. And that's okay. you got to know that you're going to say some things sometimes and they're going to leave. And people leaving does not reflect upon your calling. And if you don't have a, some kind of security in God... You will allow the affirmation of men to, to choose. You will tickle the ears is what we say in ministry. You will tickle the ears of, of the pew to make sure that they grow. So ministry, sometimes we call this secret sensitive. The culture we live in today is a culture that thrives on being seen. We're facing all sorts of issues today because of it. I was reading up on some of these issues that I found interesting to me. There was one, uh, one of those was called histrionic personality disorder. Anybody ever heard of it? It's called histrionic personality disorder. These are a couple that have popped up in the last 10 years or so with this millennial generation. Listen, they've been around a long time. We just never really had a name for it because we never saw it so prevalent. All right. It was kind of, kind of sectioned off to a little groups here and there, but now we see it on a, a bigger scale. Histrionic personality disorder is a personality disorder characterized by a pattern of excessive attention-seeking emotions, usually beginning in early adulthood, including inappropriately seductive behavior and an excessive need for approval. Histrionic people are lively. They're dramatic, vivacious, enthusiastic, and flirtatious. HPD is diagnosed uh, uh, four times as frequently in women as men. It affects 2 to 3% of the general population and 10 to 15% in inpatient and outpatient mental health institutions. 10 to 15% of those who are in the crazy house are struggling with HPD. The need to be seen. The need of attention and affirmation from others. And so they act in a way to get it in front of people. We see this all over social media today, and it's contributed to the majority of people who feel the need to take listen selfies all the time. And I'm not here to pick on anyone. I'm just telling you that even our culture that promotes the selfie sees that there's a problem. <laughs> Again, there's something about being seen. And when we're seen by others, it affects our behavior, and it directs how we conduct ourselves. You know? The whole idea of the Taco Bell story, Right? I've told that story in here now a few times, right? The whole idea of that is how was I seen outside the church? Would they come into a church where they saw me in the church? No, they'd think I was a hypocrite because I acted one way in public and one way in, 
in the church. That's why confession is mandatory in the church. I mean, that's one thing we could grab from the Catholic church and get for real on. Confession should be something that happens in the church all the time. Confess to one another. Confess to one another. The Bible preaches it. Another issue that's being talked about a lot today, and this one ought to sound a little bit more familiar, narcissistic personality disorder, NPD. Narcissistic personality disorder is a personality disorder with a long-term pattern of abnormal behavior characterized by exaggerated feelings of self-importance and an excessive need for admiration and a lack of empathy. Those affected often spend a lot of time thinking about achieving power or success or on their appearance. They often take advantage of people around them. The behavior typically begins in early adulthood. It occurs across a variety of social situations. Does this sound familiar? Especially with our current scriptural text. Let me remind you what the current scriptural, uh, uh, compare that to with the Pharisees, right? To, to this one. It says those affected spend a lot of time thinking about achieving power or success or in their appearance. It says they take advantage of the people around them. If that's not the Pharisees in this moment, I don't know what it is. They've been the leader for so long, they got a head the size of Texas on top of their shoulders. Man, I'm the leader. I'm the greatest, the best. They got that Muhammad Ali thing. I'm the best in the whole world. We want to be seen. We want a reputation with people more than we want a reputation with God. The desire to be seen by others leads us to a greater temptation, one that has us taking advantage of others. Well, that's why we tell people when we're going for that job interview, well, I'm a Christian, because that might help me get the foot in the door. By the way, I know a lot of people, you tell them that, like, we're not hiring you. Because there's a pretty good chance you say that and you're not. That's more likely than you actually being actually a good worker. For the Pharisees, the issue with lusting after authority and power, position, respect, and for materialism came at a huge cost. It cost them their conscience. Eventually, they start taking advantage of widows and cheating widows, taking advantage of women who are in helpless situations. Talk about low. I call men like this the great pretenders. So they pretend to be holy, but they're not. They pretend to be righteous, but they're not. They pretend to be Christian, but they're not. They're not. They're wolves in sheep's clothing. They look like us and they talk like us, but they're not us. And you and I both know because everybody in here has been the Pharisee at some time in your life where you've looked like us and talked like us, but you ain't us. That's just the truth. It's easy to do. It's easy to fool people into making them think that you're Christian. It's easy. It's also why some people hate Christians. (laughs) Because sometimes it is easier to spot than others. There are, it's true, there are some that live outwardly like a Christian. They'll pray long prayers publicly. They'll be involved in everything the church does. And while some things are good inherently, they're not doing it because they love God. They're doing it because they need to be seen. And who can blame them in a culture today that so desperate needs to be seen? It's culturally okay now to be seen. There's nothing wrong with that now. And if you come against it, like, well, what's so wrong with it? What's so wrong with being seen? What's so wrong with posting like 75 million pictures of myself? Yeah, just saying that if you don't figure that out. You can always tell, listen, when someone is struggling with the need of affirmation in our culture today, I got a call from Kyle Embry the other day. We were talking, and, and he was like, man, you know, I know you're getting ready for your college. How, how far along is that? And I was like, oh, it's in a couple of weeks. And he's like, well, how are you feeling? You've been, I saw you've been doing a little hiking. I was like, yeah, I've been doing a little bit, you know, and and he goes, uh, and I said, well, yeah, I said, I've lost like 30-something pounds. You know, I'm, I've been, I'm trying to get another 15 pounds down, but I lost over 30 pounds. And he's like, man, well, how come I haven't seen like at least 4,000 pictures of you just showing every day of how skinny you're getting and uh, you haven't tried to sell me Advocare or anything else by this time of, of, the, the, of what you're doing? And how come, I mean, and he's saying this in jest, and you all laugh because you know, right? You already know, like your Facebook feed's full up with it, right? I mean, like, and here's the thing is, there's inherently there's nothing somewhat wrong with that but there's a little piece of us that know like come on man are you really doing it because you really believe in it and you're really trying to sell it are you doing it because you need the affirmation of everybody telling you good job and and there's a careful line there and the devil will use that 
That's where we have to be careful. We're not rooted in God, the devil. It's everything. There's nothing inherently bad with that. But one slip where affirmation from people becomes more than affirmation from God. And maybe I would put on there more photos of me losing weight or something if I didn't truly think that uh, I already know myself. I know that I would appreciate the affirmation of others. I know that an attaboy feels good, right? And so I avoid it altogether. It's like when the Bible says when you see uh, temptation, run. Like don't just like walk away, like bolt straight run. I mean, to me, think about it. I could have changed Joseph's life. Here comes that woman. We already know she's flirtatious with you, Joseph. He should have just took off running. Better to be beaten as a slave trying to escape than accused of rape and in prison. Run, Joseph. Run. And some of us need to know our own hearts and know where that stands, man. This is the culture today. This is the culture. People kind of expect it a little bit. We, we, it, it, the, this is a look at me culture. And it's been this way for so long. It's just the new normal. And we've been living with this practice. Listen, since the days of Jesus, this ain't new. Jesus says, look at these Pharisees who want to be seen. They want to be seen everywhere, doing everything, saying everything right, doing everything right. They want the affirmation of all the people because that affirmation gains them things, positions, power, influence, right? These are practices. We understand that when people have a certain thought or image of us, that we benefit from it. By the way, in business, this is called marketing and advertising. It's where we create a public perception of what we want them to think. I mean, one of the things that I did uh, as a hunting company, that uh, I, I ran a hunting company online uh, back when the internet was kind of just kicking off in the late 90s, early 2000s. And uh, we, I was going to be, uh, this ma- is going to be a magazine called bowhuntingtexas.com, and we did that for seven years. And I remember when we first got started, uh, we didn't really know what we were doing. We definitely weren't professional hunters. I couldn't tell you the age of a deer to save my life, but uh, the perception and how good we could look up front as a business. Like It's kind of like if I have this awesome building and it's decorated out great, you just automatically assume this guy must have his stuff together. And every, the first year we got all these sponsors and they came on and advertisers and, you know, like they're looking at us like these guys are professional hunters and these guys are professionals. They know what they're doing. And in the background, me and my buddy Chris are going, oh my gosh, we have no idea what we're doing. We all, I can't believe we have fooled all of these people who have all this money. This is incredible. Like we have no clue what we're doing here. Uh, and can I tell you, oh, four or five years later, yeah, we're experts at that time. But in the beginning, public perception through marketing, advertising, and branding, created a false perception that allowed us to do business. And in business, you know what we call that? Good job. Good job is what we call that. Because you got to get started somehow. You, you believe that you strive with excellence, you, that these are parts of your character, but you are nowhere near what, what you're, look, you're presenting yourself as. We looked professional like we were bigger than what we were. And I knew because of marketing and advertising that if I look one way, you'll assume that I am. It's normal practice. Everybody looking at me like you already know, like, yeah, that's just how it is. Welcome to Business 101 America, right? You know, I mean, this is, this is just standard practice, but this is what it is. Listen, the church uses it today. The church uses marketing and advertising. Not just any marketing advertising, but business marketing and advertising. There are awesome websites that you can go look at today for a church of 40 people. You're like, man, this thing, this thing's probably like a mega church. Look at this thing, man. There's so many things going on. And da, 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 da. They've made it look like that. Then you go in there like, where's all these people? Like, where, what? How? This doesn't even make sense. Like, it looks one way on the web. It looks one way on Facebook. It, it looks like it's so popular and it's, everything is so pretty and everything is so perfect. And then you get there and you come back and you're like, hey, what? That place was a lie. <laughs> Right? Well, it's an American business practice. It's accepted. And listen, they do it today under the disguise of, well, we've got to evangelize the word. I'm, I'm a little sarcastic there. I'm sorry. Because I don't, I, I mean, here's my struggle with it. It looks hypocritical. <laughs> I mean, you say you're not a business church, 
but you act like one. Well, there's certain finances and certain ways. No, 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 because here's the truth about you don't run a church like a business because it's not. If God told us to give all away our money tomorrow to somebody, that's what we'd have to do. That's not a wise business decision. That's a God decision. We're not bound by the laws of business. We're bound by God and his word. Can I tell you, though, we're going to believe by wisdom and counsel that God's going to put all of us together and be in agreement over such a thing? But can I, nowhere ever is a business practice going to run the church. And, and also, we don't ever want to misadvertise what we are. That, that would be wrong. It would be a lie. And that comes off like a hypocrite, just like the Pharisees were. They talk about being holy. They talk about being godly. They talk about all these things. But they're acting like something else. We advertise, we market, we brand, and then we expect to see people that, 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 you know, that, that we're not a business. But here's the thing. In East Texas, we say if it looks like a duck and walks like a duck, pretty good chance it is. And the church has operated over this for so long that no one even challenges it. Hey, you'll hear a few soapbox. You'll hear guys like me every once in a while. We'll say it on the soapbox. Can I tell you that pastors, we talk about it. We don't like it, but how do you change it? That's the question, right? And then everything is, well, it's been this way for so long. Well, that doesn't mean it's concreted. But very few people actually have the, I want to say the audacity, but have the courage to challenge it. By the way, this is why Jesus asks you questions. Jesus asks you questions so that you'll challenge things. He challenges you. What do you know about the Messiah? What do you know? Why would God say this about David? Go find out. And then challenge what you believe. What do you believe? Do you know? If I was to ask you, would you, able, would you be able to take me through scriptures and show me? Because if you think, if you can't, if you're just telling me some simple line that you've heard, man, your, your house is living on sand. This is why it's challenged. There are, this is happening today. And maybe, and maybe the question is for, for all of you is, is just to be able to challenge you that maybe we should be thinking about these things. Maybe these are things that should be on our heart when we talk about things that are seen. Uh, uh, should we continue to support a Pharisee culture in church? Listen, because it happens all the time and we're kind of used to it. We all know it. Everybody in here, is, if you've been in church for any length of time, you've already experienced a pastor at some point that struggles there. Or you already know of someone that has. You know, the great thing about the pastor's fall is everybody hears it when a pastor's fall. Ask our TV evangelist. It's happening to them all the time. Popularity will breed it, man. It creates it. Should we continue to use business and marketing, promotion of the church? These are good questions. Is, is, is the church struggling with the desire to be seen by the culture? Yes. I, I say yes to that. What's your answer to that? Does the church want to be popular today? Yes. Yes. Why do you think it wants to look like a concert? Come on, where does that come from? They've been having concerts for years that look like what the church is just now doing. It's taken the culture a long time to impress that upon the church. All right? But the church is coming around. It's coming around to the culture. I don't know that that's wise, but the church, for the sake of, under the disguise of evangelism, wants to be seen as popular. We want to be seen as beautiful. Well, Jesus is beautiful. Yeah, but the gospel is not. Come into my beautiful church where I tell you how we slaughtered the Son of God. It's so contrary to our message, right? I mean, the whole idea of the gospel is that God rescues the broken. God rescues the beaten up. God rescues the poorest, the, 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 the ugliest, the, and he is what makes it beautiful. So if you came into church and it's beautiful, that's like a first sign of me, like I'm not sure what's going on here. <laughs> like To me, I tend to go, man, this is a ragtag group. I'm in the right place. Look at David's group. That's my, one of my favorite groups. It says that God sent David all the ordinary guys, the people who were thieves on the run from the law, the people who, who owed money in taxes, the people who, like when you look at David, who built David's kingdom, uh, that's the church. That's the people who need God on their side because they don't have it with men. They got nowhere else to turn but God. By the way, if that doesn't describe the church, I don't know what does. Our church struggling with to be seen in the culture, man. Does it carry the same desire to be seen by God? We talk about Matthew 6 a lot here. And just it's been a, a kind of a revelation for, for me. Uh, 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 but Matthew 6, taking at face value, describes a different view of what the church should consider. 
Should you pursue the, the respect of men or the eternal reward from God? It says when you give, right, we give without anybody knowing so that we receive the eternal reward. If we give and everybody knows, going back to Jesus says, don't be like that. This is the second time now in Scripture we read where Jesus says, don't be like this. Don't be like this because the temptation that follows when everybody sees you is to struggle. To, to be seen as a Christian is the struggle there, right? Or do we want the reward of God? Which one are you seeking after? Which one is the church seeking after? What if I showed you what the other half of that coin looks like? I mean, and it doesn't happen in the way that we'd recognize it because we rarely see it as such. Our eyes are so poor at searching out the things that are hidden. But let's look at uh, uh, Mark 12, verses 41 through 43. And I think we get to grasp a little bit of what it's like to the unseen life and maybe the idea of what Jesus meant when he said, trading a reputation with the people for an eternal reward from the Father. When we trust that he sees us and we let that be enough. So Mark 12, 41 through 43, let's close out the chapter here. Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and watched as the crowds dropped in their money. Many rich people put in large amounts. The poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth, the poor widow is given more than all the others who are making contributions. For they gave a tiny part of their surplus. But she, poor as she is, has given everything she has had to live on. Now, man, I know you've heard this scripture before. Preachers preach it all the time to talk about how our hearts should be when it comes to giving. This is a giving sermon, right? I've heard it used in that context for years, and I'm sure you have. But listen, let's put that aside for a little bit today. I want to look deeper into it, right? Everyone here, like I've got my real glasses. I need you to put on spiritual glasses this morning. We're going to really take a look at this just real quick, and then, and then we'll get into worship. But uh, we're going to take a look at this. You're going to need spiritual glasses because I'm going to need your imagination. Remember what that was like? You had it when you were like four, all right? Up until you were about 15 before the world shattered you, all right? Put your imagination on. Put your spiritual glasses on because you're going to need to see some visuals to see how this whole thing plays out. We're going to look at this thing a little bit more like Sherlock Holmes style uh, uh, and just from a different perspective. So with your spiritual glasses on, can you see the temple? You see it? It's they're coming in. There's all these people coming in that day. They're paying their tithes. Jesus is over here up against the wall, and he's like sitting with his disciples. Maybe it's hot. I don't know, but they're just hanging out. He's not causing a ruckus. He's not beating everybody out of there, but this whole event is taking place, and he's watching them come and pay their tithes. And for whatever reason, there's a lot of wealthy people that day paying their tithes. And you could kind of see their large amounts of money dropping in. It's kind of intimidating, right? I don't know about you, but I've been that guy when the offering plate comes by and you don't have nothing to put in. You're like, eh, act like I do, you know? I mean, it's just like a lot of, I mean, they're just throwing in all this money and you don't have it. That Maybe it's your every other week, right? Not every week you get a paycheck. So you don't tithe every week, right? So every other week, right? So everybody's, you see these people, everybody's dropping something in. You just want to drop something in, but you just pass it on. You're like, I'm a deadbeat. I know. I'm sorry. Right? And, and like, and, and, and just watching this big money be thrown in. You see how they're dressed? Man, they're fancy. They wore their Sunday best that day. They're coming in. They're paying their tithes. They look nice. Their robes are well-maintained because they're wealthy. They don't look like poor people. Their haircut is done every week, right? They, they, they're cleanly, uh, well, I don't know if they shave, but, but they're clean. They take in, they've cleaned up. They're dressing in nice clothes. They're throwing it in there, right? I mean, this is, this is uh, 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 every, everything is, is just seems so perfect as they come up. And then there at the end, there's this older woman approaching, already feeling uncomfortable because look at all these other people who are dressed so nice, but she's a poor widow, and here she comes walking up, right? She doesn't have her husband because she's a widow. And Jesus tells us she's both poor and a widow. And listen, pause it for just a second. Listen, I, I raised three girls. And in raising three girls and watching them play dolls and, and house and marriage and all the things that little girls play, right, uh, with their Barbies and everything else, can I tell you, I have never seen in any of their imagination them going, one day my husband is going to die and I'm going to be poor. Just saying, that's not in any of their dreams. 
All right? Like, I can't wait to grow up and my husband die, the love of my life, and then leave me with nothing and I am poor as dirt. It's just not how they've, like, planned their life out. So I'm looking at this little woman as she steps up, already the intimidation of being behind everybody else that has a husband. Listen, women, you think, you think men care about appearances. Women care twice as much. And here she is walking up amongst all these other women who have husbands. And in a world where the husband provides everything and you don't got one, yeah, that's why all you got is two coins. So you got no love of your life. You have no future. You have no security. You're poor. There's a lot of intimidation there, right? How do you think she feels? Her life didn't turn out like the fairy tale. She's easily reminded of this just by looking at those who are giving just before her. Like she's sitting in the line watching them just give chunk after chunk after chunk. Oh, here's tons of money. Here's tons of money. Oh, and I know it's my turn is coming up and it's just going to be ding, ding. How do you think she feels? Put your spiritual glasses back on. There's something about obedience. There's something about just paying your tithes because the Bible says that's what you do. There's just something about that. And so she answers the call of obedience and she walks up there. And listen, no one notices her. No one notices her. Except who? Jesus. Jesus sees her. She's not the spectacle. Everybody throwing all them chunks of change is the spectacle. It's not to mean that they're bad in itself. We're not saying that. What I'm saying is she was faithful. It wasn't about being seen. Matter of fact, if anything, no one's going to see her. No one but Jesus. And that's the thing, right? Can, now, 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 with your spiritual glasses on, look at Jesus now. She's going up there. She's walking up. And can you see him now? Like he's sitting on the side. And, you know, he's like, hey, 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 hey. See that one? Yeah. What about, I mean, she's nobody. Look at the poor little widow. Like, what are you talking about? Like, look at all those rich guys. You ain't got nothing to say. Like, no, 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 no. You're missing it. You're missing it. Look at her. Watch her. Yeah, she gave two coins. We saw it. What's the deal? It's like, oh, you didn't see that? You missed it, right? And then he goes on to tell man, she gave with what she had, right? He teaches this. It really is a giving lesson. There's no way I can make that out or anything other than it. She's giving all that she has. But can I tell you something that's happening underneath? Jesus is seeing the unseen. Jesus is seeing the unseen. He says, look at her. He's using her as a sermon illustration on what the measure of giving looks like. Nobody else sees it. Only Jesus sees this. And listen, she will infamously live on, be immortalized through the scripture. We are going to teach about her for the next 2,000 years on what, it's, what it is or the measure by which to give from. Anybody know her name? Only Jesus knows that. Do you think, by the way, she's probably going to go to her grave never knowing that she was used by God to teach us on the obedience and faithfulness and measure by which to give. The things unseen. Your job is to trust that God sees you. You are to do the right things. And trust that the Lord sees you. When you give, give in private. Don't worry if anybody sees you. The Lord sees you. How do you know He's not going to use you to be the example to others on how to be? How do you know that He's not somewhere in prayer going, you see how they are? You need to be like them. You don't know this, but they're great in obedience. They're great at being faithful. They're great in following me. See how they emulate me. See how, see how they pray and see how they... You need to be like that. Well, I, and, 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 the, and the irony is, you'll never know that. You'll never know that. But this is when Jesus is, this is the funny thing, the whole thing. He, he just got through preaching about don't be the people who always desire to be seen. And then he teaches on this whole thing. But in, in between this whole thing, it's not happenstance that it's about somebody that's really an unseen individual. It's not happenstance. It's not coincidence. I don't believe in that with the Bible. It's by design. God reaffirms, he says, look at my people, the ones that don't care to be seen, the ones that are trying to hide in society. Look at, look at how they serve. 
They don't need to be seen as the big wealth. They don't need, listen, they're still being faithful even when nobody notices them. Their reward, or even for her, is that he honors her in the scriptures. And we continue to teach her story. That's so cool, by the way. I'm sorry. That is like so cool. It, it makes me believe that in those times when I think nobody sees me, God actually might be using me to be the example. That God is going, look at my kid. Somewhere on the sidelines, somebody going, look at my kid. See how faithful he is when no, he thinks nobody's looking? He's doing it. That's integrity, by the way, right? When you're the same person, when nobody's looking, right? Look at his integrity. Look at how he still follows me, even when he doesn't have to. Right? Even when the temptation is to not. Nobody's looking. Nobody sees. But he's still being obedient. He's still being faithful. Look at him. We say this in leadership all the time, and you should get a grip on this one, right? You can't be a leader unless anybody's following you. But before somebody follows you, they watch you. And you don't know that they're watching you. They want to follow you because they've watched you for a while. They see how you act. They see how you act when nobody's around. They see how you act in public. They see how you act in private. They watch you before they follow you. Nobody just blindly follows anybody. They watch you before they follow you. They try you out. (laughs) Who's watching you? I know that Jesus is watching and even as we look here, the things unseen, be careful about these things, right? And then the things unseen, know that there's an eternal reward. Matthew 6, right? It all accumulates right here. Even here, God wants you to trust him that he sees you. He wants that to be enough. It's okay that nobody else sees you. Nobody else gets your gift. That nobody else sees your beauty. That nobody understands your hard work. It's okay. God is affirming you. God can aff- listen, go to the Lord in prayer. Let, allow God to affirm you. You don't need the affirmation of all your friends. You don't need the affirmation. By the way, I don't need the affirmation of my wife to know that I'm doing the right or wrong things. I don't need it. Now, I can tell you that I think God has given me her as a gift for those things. But can I tell you, at the end of the day, I answer to the Lord. And my identity is wrapped up in Him. And my affirmation is wrapped up in Him and Him alone. Why? Because if not, I will fall into temptation just like the Pharisees and I will end up being what you will dislike and eventually what Jesus will hate. Jesus says, don't be like these guys. All of Matthew 6 is, don't be like the Pharisees. By the way, it's like him saying, don't be like the pastors (laughs) for today. Don't be like the pastors. You know, those guys who teach you all the time and they let it get to their head and they think that they're owed something they're waiting for you to ask them to go to lunch and then pay for it so they don't have to pastors don't do that by the way Uh uh-huh one thing that if you're not careful too as a pastor and i'm just going to like a little confession as i'm sitting on the altar is that you can you can get a little cynical if you're not careful if you hang around the church long enough Because you'll see enough Pharisees and enough Sadducees, enough doubters, enough people who want want everything that God has to offer and not ever become anything God wants. If you're not careful, you'll walk in cynicism. Make you a little bit bitter because you see it. I see pastors who've stolen from people. I've seen pastors who've cheated on their wife and preached the next Sunday like it never happened. I've seen pastors praise and worship for six months and act like they never cheated on their family. I've seen pastors do things, all all kinds of unethical, unright. And I'll be honest with you, I've seen pastors just be cowards. But you know what else I can tell you about them? They're just human beings. And they've allowed themselves to fall into the trap and the temptation. And and one of the things I'm reminded of, and I think that God does this for a reason. Uh, By the way, let me me give you just one little tidbit before, let's bring the worship back in. David... God put David around Saul for a reason. It is a warning and a reminder that if you're not careful, David, you can become Saul. This is what it looks like. And do not think you're beyond it. Do not think you're ever beyond it. You are not too good to never do this or never do that. 
if you're not careful, if you're not constantly seeking after the Lord, if you're not constantly pursuing the Lord, you're just as fragile as anyone. There's no time where everyone, well, I'm so scriptured up. I might as well just, I just like, I wake up with the armor of God on. Good luck. That's not going to happen. It's not going to be that way. This is where you have to be rooted in Christ. Aren't you okay with being unseen? <clears throat> One of the things that has been brought to my attention twice now, it got, it got said to me this past week by a guy, all good, it was nothing bad. But this guy approached me, this, or not approached me, we were having a big conversation. And this is the second time I've heard this being said about our church, and I like it. I ain't going to lie, I like it. Uh, and, I, and I'm praying for this, because I, I honestly, I want to say I don't see it sometimes, but I want this, is he, he was saying, he goes, you know, one of the things I love about your church, and I'm like, okay, let's hear it. And, and uh, he goes, you know, the one thing that's different from your, that's different in your church is different from most churches I've, I've been in. So your church is a really spiritual church. And I was like, okay, like, I sometimes don't think that, <laughs> but, but uh, he goes, no, he says, man, there's just such, there's such this strong pull to live right, to be right with the Lord. He says, you, you have a tendency not to pander, not to cater, but also to be honest. And, and, and he goes, and it's seen in your whole church. And, and listen, guys, what I like about it is that's the second time I've heard it. You know, the other time I hear it? is uh, when we were asked initially for the last couple of years to be a part of the backpack outreach, right? And the same comment is made. Other churches look, at, look at, at you and I as being a very spiritual church. I, there's a piece of me that goes, praise Jesus. But then there's also, I'm not going to think, maybe this is the cynicism, the cynicism side of me goes, but why doesn't every church look like that? I, all I want is Jesus. Does not every church want that? Or is that not the focal point of every church? I, I, mean, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what the Lord is doing there. I want, do I, am I seeking to be a spiritual church? No. I'm seeking to love Jesus. I want you to love Jesus as bad as I can. To me, my 20 minutes or 30 minutes of preaching is a rant on why don't you love God as much as me? <laughs> That's what I want. When we get ready to worship, the wood is here. Bring the rocks. Bring the rocks, man. You got a scripture you want to write? Bring it. Write it down. I heard somebody say, well, my handwriting's not that pretty. Praise God. God doesn't think so. God thinks you write awesome. Get over the whole pretty part. Who decides that? God made you. Who, who said you weren't pretty? God made you. God made everything perfect. Quit. Quit. Well, I just, I'm flawed like this or I'm flawed like that. Who said God made you perfect. Get over that. Let, quit letting the world have any kind of identity. Listen, you bring the scripture that speaks to your heart that you want to be. If you was at the altar today and you were praying to the Lord for something, what scripture would bring you hope? Bring that stone today. Okay? And over the next few weeks, that's what these are going to be here for until it's covered up. Until it's covered up. Amen? Now let's worship.